0: Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the least of these podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Amen. Christ arose. Paul said, if Christ didn't rise, we of all men are most miserable because we would still be in our sins. But he arose from the grave proclaimed victory didn't he all righty well we're going to be back in romans and we're going to look at romans chapter 9 and we're going to actually start it this week verse 1 and probably get through about verse 3 today we're going to talk about paul's great concern for his brethren in israel and let me just read verses 1 through 3 here he says i tell the truth in christ i am not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great concern and continual grief in my heart. I have great sorrow, excuse me, and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh. Let's stop right there. So remember the book of Romans is really summed up in chapter 1 and verse 17 where he talks about the whole section there verse 16 says he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god and the salvation for everyone who believes right he said for the jew first and also the greek and then he says for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith as it is written that just shall live by faith and we said really that word when you get to verse 17 it says for in it the righteousness of god is revealed Uh, the way the tense of the verb is it can be really understood is in it the righteousness of god is constantly being revealed it's not just one time but always constantly and he says from faith to faith it's just by sheer faith that just shall live by faith and we talked about how that is written four different times in the book of the Bible, right? That just shall live by faith. And of course, we got a whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about faith. Remember, the first three chapters are really the, the section on condemnation. What happens is Paul says everybody's guilty before God. And he finishes it up in that last section of chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. And he says that... None's good, none good, none good, and he says the this is all said and done that that every mouth may be stopped, and God may be declared just and holy and then he goes on chapter four begins to tell us how David, first of all, Abraham was saved by faith, who was the great patriarch, and he was a great man, and a lot of people thought he just didn't even never sin, but we know that he lied a couple of times at least about his wife and he, he was not a he, he was a sinner just like all of us right but David he was a he was a great man of God but we know that he committed a lot of sins he committed two sins that were worthy of death right adultery and then uh, allowing Uriah to hit tight he had him basically killed a bunch of other people when he put him on the front of the line and so we talked about how they were saved by faith and then Chapters five and six, really chapter five talks about our security in Christ, that once we've been saved, we cannot lose our salvation. In chapter six, it talks about now we are alive to Christ and we're dead to sin and now live the way we're supposed to, right? And so those sections talk about chapter four and uh, talks about justification, four, five, and six, sanctification, and six through eight, And he talks about how to be more and more like Christ, right? And now we're in what we call the national section. We were in the doctrinal section, and now we're in the national section. And we're talking about the fact that God's faithful to everyone. The Jews were his promised people, and even though... Uh, many of them didn't believe, most of them didn't believe it wasn't because God, it was God's fault, but it was because they didn't trust him, right? They rejected him. I mean, remember when we were in the book of John, he went three times to Galilee, three times to Jerusalem. They rejected him. And he said, "Walk while you have the light with me? You know, because the light's not always with you. And they rejected him and he, he went and hid himself. When you don't want nothing to do with God, he says, okay, I'll just leave you to yourself, right? And that's what he did. And that's the reason the world is in such a mess is because most people don't want anything to do with the real God, the true God, the one and only God, right? We get to this section here and Paul's gonna talk about his great concern and verses one and two really form one sentence in the Greek and it, and we're gonna see how he tells us, three different ways that that we can know that he has a concern and that he's telling the truth. This is a section of scripture that that's not only logical, but it comes from the heart of Paul. He's brokenhearted over his brethren, his countrymen, and you know that's what we should be. I was listening to a pastor over here on, on the way over here this morning. I don't know if any of y'all ever listen to 88.7, but it's got some, it's, you know, kind of middle of the road as far as music. It's not like BBN, you know, the real older music, but but it has a lot of good preaching on it. And Dr. Carl Brogy, I was listening, he was talking about the Holy Spirit as he was teaching, and he was talking about how the churches had Falling away, how the churches weren't doing what they were supposed to, and he'd listen to what this one, the biggest mega church in South Carolina, their Easter service, you know, and he said last year they played Highway to Hell. I don't know if y'all know that song, but it's it's a rock and roll, just, you know, wild, crazy song, but that's what they played instead of something godly and Christian. He said, I don't know what the name of the song was, but it was horrible, and as he was talking about it, he just, he broke. And you could just hear him trying to control his voice for about 30, 40 seconds. He just about broke down and cried, you know, as he had a heart for, you know, people. And it's sad to see people do what they do and go to hell and do all the things they do to their life. And that's what Paul's got going on here. He's watching his fellow countrymen, his his Jewish brethren, and he's watching them. And he's watching them reject Christ, and he's watching how badly they've gone into sin and all the things they're doing and continue to do and have done for, for centuries and then he, his heart is broken over that. But yet they consider him an enemy because they think he's teaching some new doctrine, some new way of, instead of what God originally said. But as Paul says twice in the book of Acts, he's teaching nothing new. But he's teaching what was foretold in the Holy Scriptures all the way in the past, Right? and he quotes scriptures to prove that as we get to this section paul ended on that high note at the end that nothing shall separate us from the love of god and there's this big high note of joy and exaltation and and great just wonder and amazement at how great god is and then all of a sudden we get to chapter nine and uh, he's broken he's in tears over his countrymen and his people this is, remember, we said it's a continuation of the rest of the book because the people were saying, hey, if the Jews have been set aside now and the Gentiles are God's people now, and all of them are being say, what about the Jews? And Paul's going to say the reason y'all are set aside is because y'all wanted to be set aside. And this is God's plan. He knew that was what was going to happen. And until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the jews will be set aside and because they did not want to hear the truth and so paul talks about three things that bear witness to his great sorrow and his grief first of all his witness he tells the truth in christ right and he also says my conscience also bearing witness and he also has the holy spirit so he has Christ and the Holy Spirit, two members of the Trinity that can witness to his, his heart. And then he has his conscience. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those things. We're going to break them down just a little bit. But remember, Paul often made that statement, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I'll just read one of them. He says, Philippians, excuse me, Galatians 1.20. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. And then he talked to another one where God is his witness and he said in Philippians 1.8, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to talk about how, you know, Christ is his witness, but then he says my conscience also bearing witness. I mean, you could call on nobody else greater than Christ to be your witness, right? And so he calls on Christ as his witness but then he talks about his conscience and you know we all have a conscience and remember we talked about that in Romans chapter 2 and it said that we know in chapter 1 that there's a God because of what creation right but we also know there's a God because of our conscience but we can have a good conscience I'll talk about all the kind of consciences we can have what happens is when we're young you know we have a we have a conscience from God but then as we grow older what happens we can mess up our conscience right but when we're young like I said I remember the first time I had a BB gun and I shot a little bird and I felt bad about it you know if you did something you stole something you did something bad you know and then you you feel bad about it but as you get older you know this is what happens these people in the jails and the prisons they start out maybe stealing a piece of gum and then they get to where they're hurting people and do all kinds of things and it doesn't bother them anymore. Because the worse they do, the more they do, the more they mess up their conscience, right? But Paul talks about his conscience and this is really, to begin with, it's kind of a spirit-led moral sense that each and every one of us has inside of us because Paul talked about that in Romans 2 that our conscience bears witness that it either accuses us or else it excuses us, depending upon what kind of a conscience we have, right? And so I'll just read a couple of kinds of consciences. I won't read all these verses I had written down here, but we there's a pure conscience. Uh, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 1.19, he says, having faith in a good conscience. Colossians 8.7, he says, their conscience being weak is defiled. 1 Timothy 1 15, it says their consciences are filed. You know, so there was a weak conscience, but that defiled their conscience, and now they have just a plain defiled conscience. And then he says they also have a, here's the worst one of all 1 Timothy 4 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. What does that mean? It means that, that their conscience has been so messed up by the things that they did that they don't have any feelings anymore, right? And that's the bad thing and that's how these people that do all these really horrible things that we see on TV, you know, like the son of Sam and some of these people have done some really horrible things. How can they do that? Because their conscience has been seared. It's been so messed up that that they can do anything and they don't feel anything about it. You know, I like to read Westerns and I'll often hear, I'll often as I read the things, and I'm sure that uh, this was true of people, even you know today. But they would talk about some of these gunfighters, these people that just loved to see if they were the fastest gunfighter, and they had all these notches on their gun, and they were constantly egging people on to see if they could kill people, and see who was the fastest and the best. You would hear, you would read about them saying that they'd look into people's eyes, and there was a coldness. That there was nothing there. There was a deadness in the eyes. That comes from a from a defiled, uh, seared, and defiled conscience. That there's just nothing in there. You know that people can do anything to anybody, and it doesn't bother them. Paul says in Hebrews 10, 22, "Let us draw near." with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we get saved, he removes our evil conscience. And so Paul had a divine call from God. He was an apostle. He had uh, came in divine authority. And you know what? He says that he had great sorrow and continual grief in his heart and then listen what it says in verse 3 i mean he had great sorrow and what continual grief not just occasional grief but continual grief right this is something paul lived with all the time and then even as we get to verse 3 he says for i could wish that i myself were a curse from christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh And this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time today. But what Paul says here is he would even be willing to be cut off from Christ for their sakes. He'd be willing to go to hell for his brethren's sake. And remember this says, notice what it says, for I could wish. Because what did Paul just get through saying in chapter 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? And he knows that once he's saved, he can never give himself up for somebody else but he says i could wish if it were possible if there was any way possible i'd be willing to go to hell for these people you know remember what he says in philippians chapter 1 verse 22 and to 24 he was willing to stay out of heaven for the sake of the saved in philippians 1 22 to 24 but he was willing in romans 9 to go to hell for the sake of the lost. He says here in Philippians 1.22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what shall I choose? For I am hard pressed between the two, having the desire to depart, be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So what does he say here? You know what? I'd like to go to heaven and be with Christ, but I need to stay here with you, right? And so Paul really is has a great heart for people. When he looked at Christ, he rejoiced, but when he looked at the people of lost people of Israel, he wept. And like Moses, he was willing to be cursed and separated for the sake of his brethren. Let's talk about Moses just for a little bit. We want to compare Paul to Moses a little bit. Remember in the story of Exodus chapter thirty-two and and Moses verse thirty-two, he goes up on the mountain and and he's, God's given him the Ten Commandments, and as he's given him the Ten Commandments, written them down on a stone with his finger, and he tells Moses, go down, your people are sinning, and they're down there committing all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of things, and they're just sinning horribly, and Moses goes down, and he throws the tablets down, and he busts the tablets, and finds out that they're worshiping this calf and his brother Aaron makes this calf and he says you know this is your God who brought you out of Egypt this is your God who who set you you know took care of you and they're worshiping this golden calf with all the gold that they took from the Egyptians when they left that God gave them so they'd have something right to show them how great they were they just basically plundered the Egyptians It'd be like walking down the street and everybody and the brother just started handing you their gold because you were God's people, right? And said, here, you take my money. Here, let me go to the bank and give you some money. And that's what they did. And they just plundered them and they used that very same gold that God gave them to create an idol. And so Moses, he goes back to God and he says, yet now if you will forgive their sin... But if not, I pray, block me out of your book, which you've written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will block block him out of the book. God said in Exodus 32 verse 10, now leave me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation, right? And think about this. Moses had an opportunity to be the next Abraham, right? You know, God created a nation out of Abraham. And instead of, instead of saying, yes, God, destroy these people, make me another nation. He says in verse 11, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Uh, one guy said it would almost be funny if the situation wasn't so serious and so grim. But he said, Moses speaks, God speaks to Moses about your people. And Moses is speaking to God of your people. It's like, you know, when you, you know, when you were younger and your kids were growing up and child's messing up and you say to your husband or your wife, you know, what if you're a man, you say to your wife, honey, say, your child is over there doing a lot of bad stuff and she said "Well, you mean my child that's your child (laughs) you know (laughs) and you know we always blame the other one that it's their fault right that's kind of what was going on here god was saying your people moses are sinning and moses is saying god your people these are your people neither one of them really wanted to claim them right what did moses do he pleaded with two arguments he says what will the egyptians say if you destroy them they will say you brought them into the into the desert with evil intent only to do them harm and then second of all he says what about your covenant with abraham isaac and jacob you promised to make their descendants numerous and their inheritance forever you cannot break your covenant and so god heard and for the moment judgment was temporarily restrained and so moses goes down and he deals with the people in the sin and possibly this is what happened we don't know exactly but Moses, he goes down during the night. Maybe he's praying and crying out to God and he's just sitting there. And then maybe sometime during the night, an idea came to him. And he says, you know, he, he thought possibly about the sacrifices that they had made and, and the, the Passover sacrifice and how the lamb had to die and how they were, they were doing these sacrifices now. And maybe he was thinking that, you know, God could take somebody else in place of these these sinful people. And so maybe when he goes down, goes back up on the mountain the next day, and he goes before God, and he goes up there to the top, and he begins to speak to God and say, you know, God, I'll die in the place of these people. And I've always heard this story, and I'm not 100% which one it is, But I've heard, I've always heard that Moses is actually saying, I'll go to hell for these people. I heard a guy the other day actually said that Moses was just willing to die, to be taken out of this life, not actually to go to hell for these people. So I don't know which one is actually accurate, but either way, they're both serious. That Moses was saying, go ahead and take me out because of these people. But if he was saying, you know, send me to hell for these people, you know, and he's thinking, well, maybe I can do that and I can die from for these people. And it, it's kind of a, a sob welling up from his heart. And, and he goes to God and he says, God, destroy me instead of these people. Because he realizes even how stiff-necked, how rebellious, how sinful these people are, he still loves them. And he cares for them. You know, and that's the hard thing about being a Christian is remember we started out last week. We I finished that story last week, telling you about the people that fired their pastor. And he said said he was always telling us we were going to hell. And they and said, well, what does your new pastor say? And he said, well, he always tells us he's going. We're going to hell too. But he doesn't say say it like he's enjoying it, like he's happy about it. But he says it like it's breaking his heart for those people that don't know the Lord. You know, that's the difference. And that's what people in this world don't understand is our heart breaks over them and it should break over the people of this world. And just like Moses, because Moses could have been tempted and say, yeah, hey, make me a great nation. Could have been anybody else. He could have said, yeah, sure. No problem. But you know what? Moses didn't realize he could he could die for the people. He just saw what God was doing with these lambs and these innocent animals and all these things. And he didn't realize, I guess, at the time, the full implications, because he was in the Old Testament, that that there was one that was going to come, Jesus Christ, who was going to die for all our sins, right? But this is really what he was offered to do, was be like Jesus and die in the place of these people's sins. That was what he was trying to do but see remember moses wasn't innocent was he <laughs> he was a sinner like everybody else and that's the one thing you know when i was studying we were here and i don't know how many of y'all were here when we did the book of ruth but for a redeemer we talked about boaz was the picture of the great redeemer christ and the first thing that had to happen is they had to be willing to redeem the other people. And when I'm talking about redeeming. I'm talking about to die in the place of somebody else. But they also had to be qualified. <laughs> and to be qualified. You have to be sinless. I always tell the guys out of the jail. That you can't send a guy. Somebody that's guilty of another crime. To jail for the crime that you committed. Because he's already guilty right. Or she's already guilty. But you have to, if if somebody was going to take your place, it would have to be what? An innocent person, right? Because the law demands justice. And so basically, Moses was saying, you know, hey, kill me. Send me to hell. And I will die in the place of these people. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my countrymen, my brethren, notice he says my brethren, my countrymen. He calls them his brethren and his countrymen. He loves these people dearly, even though, he, even though they hate his gods. Most of them do. Remember, they laughed at him everywhere. They cursed him. They stoned him. They beat him everywhere he went. That was the people that sent him to prison. That was the reason he ended up going back to Rome. Going to Rome, and he spent four or five years in the prison the first time. And then he went back the next time he was in the dungeon, right? And this time was the time he died. I mean, the first time he was under house arrest and he basically had freedom to tell people about the Lord and nobody hindered him. But the second time he was in the nasty, dirty dungeon where they didn't have any bathrooms, they didn't have anything, it was filth and it was just probably unspeakable nastiness and dirtiness. Paul says... They are my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So they are his fleshly brethren, not his spiritual brethren. And next week when we come back, we'll talk about their privileges that he's going to talk about. But let's talk about a couple of lessons and we'll finish up today. First of all, we need to let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Remember the mind that was in Christ, Philippians chapter 2, and he says... That he thought it not robbery. And he was talking about you know thinking yourself. Not thinking of yourself better than others. But not esteeming yourself more highly than others. But think of them more highly than yourselves. And humble yourself. And lift other people up. Not only look out for your own interest. But look out for the interest of others. And then he goes on to tell them this mind, Which is in Christ. Who thought it not robbery. To be come as God. In human flesh. But he died in our place and he died for our sins he became a slave he became a servant he became he died to death even to death at a cross and because of this reason god highly exalted him right that's what he's talking about here this mind that that christ was willing to die for others that he was willing to give us all for others and we should be willing to be soul winners and so there's some thoughts there's some questions i want to say to each and every one of us, myself included, do we anguish or sorrow over other people? Do we, sorrow, do we have sorrow for those who do not know Jesus Christ and therefore are perishing without him? And one man says, I'm afraid that most of us do not. Why is that? It's because we do not believe. Is it because we do not believe we're, they're perishing? Because we do not believe the gospel? Probably it is because we are not very much like Jesus. Do we spend a lot of time with him? Do we think of spiritual things? You know, we should have the heart of Jesus. What is that verse? I'm trying to remember. It was Matthew 14, I think. And it says that Jesus saw the people. And he was brokenhearted. And he had compassion on them, right? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Not only should we sorrow for sinners that we don't know, but you know what? We should sorrow over those that are closest to us, the members of our family. Do the people in our family know the Lord? From the littlest kid, whether it's grandkids or great-grandkids, all the way up to our children, do, do they know the Lord? And husbands would grieve over unsaved wives and parents over children children over parents if we would grieve for the members of our extended families and neighborhoods do we anguish over those who are our enemies this remember paul's these are paul's enemies right the bible says bless those who curse you and despitefully use you and pray for them and so paul's sorrow was for those who absolutely hated him you know the bible says we back couple of chapters about four chapters in romans chapter 5 verse 10 it says that god died for us while we were yet enemies and sinners he loved us even while we were his enemies i know it's hard sometimes to look at these people that are so different from us these people that are so horribly living live so horribly in distant get past the fact that the way they look, the way they act, the things they do, and remember that all of those things that they're doing are really manifestations of a sick and lost heart, you know? And sometimes we, you know, we look at them and we just begin to see them as things instead of people who are trying to find satisfaction somehow. You know, that's really what these people are doing. I got a picture here that I used to show, I don't know, Hadn't shown it lately, but there's a picture here. Of the lady, if y'all can see it, I'll show it to you in a minute. I don't know where my one is with the with the um, plastic cover on it, but up at the top it says secretly, and down at the bottom it says starving. And it's got four little old birds inside of, of where the heart should be, right? And they're in a little nest, and they all got their beaks open, and they're like saying, feed me, right? And I don't know if y'all remember the... The great mathematician Pascal said that every man, woman, boy, and girl has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. And we try to fill it with the things of this world looking for satisfaction, right? What's the old song, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no bad English, but it's good theology. Because that's what the world's doing. The girl that actually drew this, I used to go to church with her. I think she lives in another country now doing children's books and artistry. But she says that I was out chasing men and drinking and drugging and doing all these things, and I was always drawing these pictures with a hole where my heart was at. And I didn't understand why I was always doing that. But I don't know how far back you remember, but if you remember before you knew the Lord that there was an emptiness in your life. And that emptiness, maybe you tried to fill it some way. But the only thing that will fill that emptiness in your life is Jesus Christ. She said, when I came to the Lord, I realized that that was the problem. And the emptiness was gone. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He says, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again, right? Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we think about these people, we've got to realize that the way they're living and the things they're doing are just outward expressions of an emptiness in life that they're trying to fulfill somehow, some way. What's the old song? They're really looking for love in all the wrong places. That's really what they're doing. They're looking for love and all these things and people and friends and all this camaraderie or whatever out there in the, in the world of badness. But yet, the true satisfaction is only found in Jesus Christ, right? And then lastly, do we anguish over people with great privileges? Sometimes we're jealous over people that have more than we do. But you know what? They're doing the same thing. Instead of going way down into the bad life, they're going way up into the, into the money and they're seeking satisfaction in money, right? But money doesn't satisfy. Nothing satisfies except for Christ, right? And so we should be like Paul and have the heart of Jesus that remember that no matter what happens, no matter what these people do, who they are, whether they hate us or whether they're great privilege or people homeless, whatever they are, no matter where they're at, that they all need Jesus and try to have the heart for these people. No matter what. I remember Alistair Begg told a story about, about some people that that the Beatles came into this airport years and years ago. And he said that the That all the youth pastor had his kids and his people come out to the airport. And they filled up a big old barrel full of the Beatles albums and they burned them, you know. And protested and shouted and screamed about how bad they were, how horrible they were, you know. And he says, I wonder what would have happened if they would have shared the gospel with them instead of screaming and hollering and shouting at them how bad they were. Because you remember that song that uh, John Lennon wrote years later? He said, um, when I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anyone. But now that I'm older, so much older now, won't somebody please, please help me? And they asked him why he wrote that song. And he said, that was the cry of my heart. I mean, they said at one time the Beatles were more popular than God, is what they said. The cry of his heart was, won't somebody please, please help me? And that's what these people are crying out for. Please, please help me. And we need to be there to help them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and love. We just thank you, Lord, that you have made us ambassadors for Christ, that we're supposed to comfort those with the comfort with which you have comforted us. We are to be your eyes and your hands and your feet. We are to be your salt. We are to be your light. Lord, you said to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, making disciples, telling others about you, who you are and what you can do for them. As far as salvation, Lord, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you said, Lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the ages. We want to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.